And welcome to episode 26 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound Players with a Head for the Game. I am Freeloader, and with me tonight, as always, are Arthas and Sabaiku. Sabaiku, how's it going tonight? Fantastic. And Arthas, how are you doing? It's great to be back, guys. Well, it's great to have you. We are the Brood Sages, easily the second best Stormbound podcast currently in production. And as a reminder, you can always follow us at Brood Sages on Twitter. Or for all of you who spell kit correctly with two T's, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. Now, guys, big news. We have some patch notes. Uh, It's going to take us a little while to get through it all, but because it's going to take us so long, let's just dive right into it, okay? Uh, Let's start with Arthas. Arthas, we've got a quality of life upgrade. Give me some news. Right, so finally, the long-awaited new login system is, uh, well, it's pretty much here. No more of that. Uh, random uh, disconnect logouts of your account. Hopefully. I don't know. But uh, basically, uh, it's going to be happening probably sometime in April. Our accounts are now going to be linked to our uh, Google accounts or Apple ID accounts. So people don't need to make uh, a new congregate account anymore. Uh, All of those Kong accounts will actually be merged into either Google or Apple accounts. So that would be pretty nice. It's going to be pretty global now. We don't need congregate anymore. There's a weird bug, I think, that's going on actually with these congregate accounts right now. Every once in a while, when somebody gets logged out, I think their name drops off the leaderboard in Heroes League. Like you suddenly can't find someone and there's just random like player numbers uh, for a little bit. And you're like, did this person fall out of the top 100? And then like a day later or whatever, they're back. That's kind of like hiding where you are and who you are. Right? You just log out of your (laughs) congregate account and now it's totally fine. Uh, okay, so uh, with that out of the way, I know this is something he follows every single time it happens. Sabaiku, we have some shop offers. Tell me about them. Yeah, we're going to get an Easter sale. It looks like pretty similar to the Christmas sales we've had in the past Ooh. with the usual $10, $20, and $50 price points. The daily login rewards are also continuing for the premium logins. Those remain the best value for the money if you're spending on the game. We definitely recommend that. Um, and then the shop offers can help to round out your collection. Uh, also in the shop will be new avatars, Loris, Mia, and Siren for a thousand coins each. And you can get some more flowers to go along with the rose in your garden for 200 rubies each. And I do have to admit, they look fantastic. I'm very tempted. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, but no flameless lizards, sadly, for Arthas. <laughs> no, it's Sunbeam for me. <laughs> oh, that's right. You want Sunbeam. That's right. Not flameless yeah. Moving on from there, we have some balance changes. Uh, and I think these, Arthas, are some that were uh, very, very long awaited. Let's talk first about uh, Collector Murs. apparently. He is finally receiving a bit more of a nerf. What's happening? Oh, man. Collector Murs. This one's interesting. Uh, Collector Murs himself, like the legendary, no longer has movement. So he used to have one speed, but now he's just... Uh, He's actually disabled now. Let's go. <laughs> so, so, so wait. <laughs> so, well, he is in a chair. So I don't know how much movement somebody in a chair should have to begin with. A chair with many legs, though. But anyway, uh, let this is not to um, this is not to confuse people though. The tokens that he generates, uh, it still has movement, which uh, I don't really like. But sure, that's just, that's just a design uh, design decision by them. This time around, let's just take the time right now to discuss it before we move on to the next balance change. So MERS now uh, at uh, at all levels has zero movement, but the same exact health. 
So level five, for example, he's a three health, zero movement unit. Now, th those stats alone are pretty bad, if not for the token saving him. Like, right, it's, a, it's an investment. I, I, I lose tempo right now. I gain an, an investment of tempo later on when the token shows up. Do we feel that Murs, as he stands right now, even, is good enough tempo that, that the loss of the movement really matters at all? I got to admit, I don't think that there is any decrease in viability in MERS as a result of this change. When you play MERS the second or the third time in a game, then then maybe the loss of movement starts to bother you, um, and it becomes just a card that you have to cycle out of your hand. Mm -hmm. in, in the early game, the first time you play MERS, you've already accepted that there is going to be a tempo loss from playing a three strength, three mana unit at um, at level five, you're perfectly willing to accept that tempo loss and loss of strength because your deck is built to withstand that already. The loss of movement there doesn't really matter very much. I think on top of that, if you're playing it to open out the game, chances are really good your opponent can't get down to your baseline to kill Murs anyway. So it's going to move off of your baseline at the start of your next turn, and you'll still have a little bit of front to work with. So um, I, I, I am pessimistic about this making a big impact on the state of the game i definitely will say that this is a big change though there are so many times where Merz's movement just keeps deciding games like for example like in the early game a lot of five strength and six strengths like to trade into each other right and Merz is like the perfect cleanup for that stuff mm, not mm -hmm. to mention being able to um actually move forward for pressure now he can't do any of that you know he's he, um like sure Merz is still a crazy good investment, but now it's not like an investment plus some nice utility at, on top of it. So I'm I'm pretty pretty happy with the change for the most part, but uh, I'm still worried about the tokens. But again, that's only really in the max level. Well, so I I, I have I have two thoughts about this. The first is that uh, is Merz himself less powerful than he was? I think the answer to that is obviously yes. Right? We take away movement. Uh, from one of the two bodies and overall the power level of the card has been reduced we can have an argument about adequately or not but but tabling that for the time being Merz is definitely weaker than he was but my second thought is play rate and for the decks that are currently playing Merz has Merz dropped to the point where for example winter playing Merz now looks at yowling or looks at west wind and says oh maybe i prefer this i, I don't see that happening uh, uh maybe maybe in ironclad because i know right now there's a lot of green gale with Merz decks out there that aren't running linked golems and perhaps this makes some of them turn to linked golems and think maybe the additional value right now is better than the investment but honestly, I'm not overly confident that anyone who's currently running MERS looks at the new MERS and says, oh, this is so much worse that I have an additional, what what three drop isn't seeing play right now that you think now becomes a more viable choice over MERS? I, th I think that's the problem, right? Like problem number one is that the token is still so good and comes at such a critical point in the game if you get MERS early 
that it's it's still worth it to run it. And I agree with you. It's compounded by the fact that what am I going to do? Put West Wind Sailors in my deck instead? Like that that doesn't feel as good. And linked golems you mentioned. Um, maybe if you were Shadowfen and playing Murs, you put in Helio Troopers instead. Aren't you running it anyway? Like I, I think it's, it's it would be Murs there, versus there are, right. You're right. There's there's not a lot of three mana cards that can really comfortably fill that void, and that's kind of the problem is why we see so much Murs in the first place right now. Well, I do say that for rush decks. And oh I know, sure, I know, sure. I know, I know. Normally, we wouldn't say rush decks should have Murs, but uh, now it definitely shouldn't. It doesn't even move. So, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so no, there's not, there, there's right. A there's not a ton of rush decks being played right now. It's a lot of mid-range. Um and I feel like in mid-range the game goes long enough that the MERS token matters so much that you still want the MERS token. I could be wrong, but I feel like overall MERS is still going to see a very high level of play after this. It won't be as strong to Arthas's point. I think he's absolutely right. MERS will not be as strong. You can't base lock with it. There's a lot of you can't move your front. He's right. It, we'll have to see. And I think that Murs not being able to move is really what hurts your deck's performance in the long run because on seven, eight, nine mana, when you would normally be able to play Murs just to fill out your curve and play all the cards in your hand, mm-hmm, now Murs mm-hmm. becomes a card that you cycle away instead of one of the other cards. So maybe you make some suboptimal plays at that point. Like that's. That's about the best that I got for why I think it'll have a significant impact. Yeah, okay. So moving on from there, Arthas walked us through the MERS nerf. Uh, Sabaiku, walk us through the next nerf. Ubis is getting the nerf hammer next. Oh, poor Ubis. Uh, I'm feeling your pain now because I just fused Ubis up to five in, no, order, you're not. in order to play in the Heroes League. And now he's getting changed right after I spent hundreds of fusion stones. You're not feeling any of my pain. <laughs> now Ubis <laughs> reads on play, deal one or two or three damage to a random enemy for each unique surrounding primary unit type. So Ubis no longer double counts unit types such as Toad or Edric. Toad is no longer a Toad and a hero. Toad is just a Toad. Edric is no longer a knight and a hero. Edric is just a knight. Right. So a lot of those um, uh, uh, unit type heroes and the elders only count for a single ping instead of two but overall, I mean, Arthas, this is kind of an education in the first place. Like, yes, it does happen fairly often, but it doesn't represent the majority of Ubes's pings by any stretch on almost any board, right? Yeah, I don't know. This isn't really going to decrease. Well, I mean, yes, it will. I don't know if it's going to do it significantly. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, well, what, 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 the most common case is there's one, maybe there's zero or one of these double unit types in there. You just lose like one ping, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I agree with you. I don't I don't think that this changes the amount of play that Uba sees, but when you see it it should have a little bit of a reduced power level. Right now, you play scrapped planners into Ubis, you get one off of the scrapped planners instead of two, right? Yeah. You go I mean, Ice, uh, Icicle Burst, Giovanna, Ubis, you get one ping off of Giovanna instead of two. It's just he does a little bit less when he comes on board. 
and I, that is just enough so that you take a little less damage from your opponent's Ubis or your units survive where otherwise they wouldn't. I mean, so I play a, uh, a, a the last week I've been playing a Shadowfen Rush deck. It runs no elders. It runs no heroes, no legendaries. I can tell you on currently playing in the Heroes League, the vast majority of my games, my f- opponent's five mana turn is Ubis. There's no elder or hero on the board on five. It's just, it turns out that putting a 10 health unit on the board that softens the board or maybe does some damage to my face is a really good turn. And that turn isn't changing. The second time, yeah, there's sometimes a scrap planners on the board or sometimes there's a Javana to your point. Um, but normally it's all my units. My opponent normally doesn't have much on the board because I'm the beatdown. And uh, I can tell you Merz is pretty effective. Or Merz. Ubes is pretty effective on those turns. It's a, just a big unit to begin with. Just a five mana 10 health is not a bad turn. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I think about it, it's actually, there are actually so many cases where this actually impacts. Like, sure, it impacts like one thing or two in like the best case, really. I'd say, I mean, because it happens so frequently, I think this this might actually have a decent effect. Like, for example, the uh, the Zivana Ubes play, right? Like, that's mm-hmm, absolutely mm-hmm. bonkers. Free two pings right? That's kind of For crazy. Sure. And then me, like, I know when I play Ubis sometimes, and I also play Edric, I would purposefully play a suboptimal Edric at four mana, just because I know I'm gonna get Ubis next, and it's just free damage for me, because I get two unit types, you know? And what I also really like is that now, the enemy isn't necessarily punished for playing those hero elder cards because now the enemy ubus can't really take advantage of those as well right that's a great point in the brawl that we just finished up legendaries have extra strength so a lot of times i'm responding to my opponent's opener with toad on four mana and because the way the movement works like he can just slap down ubus next to his unit surrounding my toad and get three pings off of it and it feels terrible and it happened to me twice and it decided the outcome of those games where those pings went like getting one less ping makes a big difference in that situation sure but but the current the the the, the brawl that just ended uh is a very edge case it's not the meta of the stormbound ladder by any stretch of the imagination nobody's playing that many you know legendary cards and not even that many elders are really even meta right now. Like scrap planners. Well, look, absolutely. I mean, scrap planners, Edric, Toe, those are all cards that are reasonable sure. to see on the board. Javana. Four yep, mana. Yep. Yep. Um, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, but I will also say that, like, you know, we talked last week about the guns. Or was that two weeks ago? Now I apologize. Two episodes ago, we talked about the guns. And the guns are all different unit types. And so there is still very likely to be a very uh, uh, diverse board on a ubis turn and to arthas's point a lot of times it's a reasonable and good play to play your four mana turn suboptimally and maybe that doesn't mean playing edric anymore maybe it means just playing two two drops of different faction types or unit types so that way your next turn has a juicier ubis like you can still do that um later in the game when you can play your own units and ubis like into a control. I don't see this actually changing the outcome of those games at all. You simply choose to play different units. I, I have I have an I- idea since uh, Ubis is, tends to go in a, a control deck. 
which uh, you know focuses on no, board clear. No, no, he he goes he goes in a he he goes in. Mid-way. I know he goes in everything. I know he goes <laughs> in everything. Okay, but okay, listen, listen. I'm pretty sure the best the best deck for him to go in is control. You know, clearing enemy targets to hit the base, right? And uh, I know that, you know, <laughs> because Ubis is so stupid. Um, I tend to exploit him in a way where like. If I do end up clearing most of the enemy units, I would just put as many of my double unit types on the board and I just hit the enemy base for like 9 to 12 damage. And uh, now that's going to be 3 damage less. That's pretty good. Oh yeah, no, 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 for sure. Uh, but but like my experience playing control this month has been that Ubis is why I can't play control. I go up against a mid-range deck. I'm doing the best I can with AoE clears, etc. But at some point, my you know, as a control deck, I don't play a ton of units. So I'm not spamming the board with a whole bunch of targets for Ubis. My opponent at some point, turn 10, 12, whenever it is, just spams two or three units plus Ubis uh, and does, you know, six or nine to my face. We can repeat that two or three times I'm dead because unless I'm playing winter, I can't reheal from those Ubis pings. So Ubis right now is like the, the mid-range card that, yes, it goes in everything. But to your point, I think you're right. Control might no longer value playing Ubis as much, but Ubis isn't really helping Control win as much as Ubis is helping mid-range dominate Control in the first place. Like th- that's where I think Ubis right now sees its like you know we we, we <laughs> it's hard to say because everything's playing Ubis and Murs, but I think Ubis is is really uh, alive and well in mid-range, and I don't see this changing. We're gonna move on from here. Uh, before we beat this as a dead dead horse, I know that there's probably a lot of people who would kind of look at that and say, "Well, gosh, in comparison to the chestnuts nerf, I think this is should be like our last little conversation about this." The chestnuts nerf of three damage for pings down to two was not reciprocated here. I think that was appropriate based on the change in level of play. I I, I don't know that we want to completely obliterate a legendary from play right what do you guys think i mean i mean i know sabaiku was making a joke about it at the beginning um this is not going to change any deck that sabaiku puts ubis into ubis still goes into all of those decks i think that's an appropriate way to nerf a legendary though no well look given how tough it is to accumulate resources in this game and just how brutal it is to progress your collection once you get to the point where you're trying to get level threes to level four and level fours to level five. I I do appreciate that they're taking a softer touch with the legendary because that does represent a lot of investment for a lot of people that thought, you know, it was a decent card and worth playing. Um, It is. (laughs) I mean, this Berzosa like many, many times tries to reiterate, they don't want to make too many like crazy significant changes. It's so much better to just um take the small steps, right? Because um, like they keep reassuring us that if it wasn't enough, they are going to nerf it again. It's not like this is the end-all be-all change for Ubis or Murs, right? It's not the end. It's just going to be slowing things down if this wasn't enough. And I think I'm comfortable with that. I, I It would feel terrible for someone to put months worth of work into a, a fusion stone collection to level up something like Ubis and then have it get nerfed to the point where it it is no longer viable in the league they're playing. So so I appreciate them wanting to 
soft touch it. I think that's the right way to go. So guys, at least if it gets nerfed the second time where it becomes inviable, the person who invested in him now gets 100 fusion stones instead of 50. <laughs> <laughs> that's nothing. 100 fusion stones, that, that moves another card up. Um, so yeah, so moving on from there, we're going to have to see what the play rates do. We'll keep an eye on it. I'm sure Sheepyard is keeping a very close eye on it. We'll see. That's the best we can say about it right now is we'll see. Um, time will tell. Uh, Excited Mousers is also getting a buff. Uh, so so Confusion is continually uh, getting stronger. Uh, who wants to take this one? Well, I can take this one. Uh, Excited Mousers. Now, this is a big buff. It now costs three mana. Down from five. That's a two mana change. That's crazy. And then, uh, you know, appropriately, they adjusted the strength to be a three, four, five, six, seven instead of, uh, you know, the old five to 11 strength. So uh, it's a pretty decent body for three mana, you know? It's not bad, yeah. Yeah, but now, like, because of how hard the ability is, like, the ability doesn't change, by the way. It still confuses surrounding enemies based on the number of surrounding friendlies. But because it's three mana now, um, it's way easier to pull off, way easier to set up more friendlies for it or things like that. Or do the confusion and then do the synergy right after it, right? So yeah, this is pretty good, honestly. Yeah, the, the enemies don't have to be surrounding, right? It's just your your friendly units that I'm are surrounding? I'm pretty sure it's surrounding. Is Enem- it surrounding? The enemy units also have to be surrounding, yes. Oh, yeah, God. so you can actually only confuse four at most. And that's like in a perfect world. Right, and a lot of people have been talking about like why don't they just make it global? And uh, to be honest, if it was global, I think it would be a bit too strong. I agree but, with uh... that actually. Like, well, like <laughs> but, fluffy uh... bad boxes will confuse globally, obviously with strength limitations, and it's it's actually pretty strong and it works pretty well. And I had some decent success playing with it. This at three mana confusing globally around around the board would be really good. Now, the thing that makes this a, a bit interesting of a change, though, is now it's exactly the same stats as hair raising. Mm. You know, now that I think about it, you know, with the, with the three mana excited Mausers, it actually is still pretty good at synergizing with hair raising. Yeah, I know it's six mana, but now you don't have to always rely on sweet cap for that, you know? Yep, yep. You get a little extra redundancy in your combo that's never a bad thing um excited mousers can also confuse units behind it which sweet cap can't do so that's actually a really uh nice little bonus if your opponent is a swarm player attacking your baseline for example you know you probably you probably still have front you probably have units in the area because you're trying to defend. So now you can just kind of pop this down, pop down hair raising, clear their board, and put a lot of strength down, you know? They're both three, four, five, six, seven strength. Yeah, like you could use this as like a frontline unit while still defending behind it, kind of like Edric, you know? It still has the seven strength. It's pretty pretty nice for that. It's way more flexible now, and that's great. That's really so. We were just talking about how Mers, even after the nerf, okay, but what other three drops do I want to put in my deck? Well, here's one. No, (laughs) (laughs) good try. (laughs) I appreciate the effort. Uh, I think people will. I think people will experiment with it. I hope that they do. I'm really excited to see what people come up with. Um, But I don't think that this becomes a meta defining card like MERS by any stretch. Yeah, it's probably true. 
All right. So moving on from there, uh, Sabaiku, we have a new card, the Temple of Life. A rare winter pack structure costs three mana with three, four, five, six, seven strength. So pretty good strength. You know, just Fort of Ebon Rock minus one. At the start of your turn, vitalize two, three, four, five, six surrounding friendly units. Now, because the structure effects work before the unit effects, this will vitalize your units and then your units will gain one strength and move forward like they normally would. On the same turn. At the start, on, on your next Ooh. turn. Yeah, the next turn after you play it. I did not realize that, I have to admit. That's very exciting. So depending on how many units you have around it, it could do as much of a buff as the hearth currently gives it could do more uh or it could do less you know unfortunately your opponent does have a tendency to try to clear your units so it's definitely something that you're going to have to be careful with how you play and how you position yeah arthas there's going to be a knee-jerk reaction uh, uh to compare this to the hearth right because they're yeah. both three mana they're both winter and they both kind of do buffing well so if we think about the key differences here, well, one is I know it is just a one strength difference between the hearth and uh, the temple of life, but uh, seven strength breaches a beautiful threshold, by the way, and uh, you can still use this practically like a fort of ebon rock, and you can still synergize perfectly with hearth guards. But like this one can easily hold your front much much better than hearth ever could. I don't think you ever really want to play hearth past your two rows, really. Unless huh. you're already winning a lot. But this one, it actually gives you benefit to play it up high. Um, because, like, I mean, yeah, sure, it's 7 strength because that's a pretty big strength. Whenever, you're, and whenever your opponent spends mana into it, like, you should be happy, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then if they don't, I mean, that's just that, in, that area on the board is just constantly a pressure point that your, your opponent has to look out for. Because you can keep putting units around there. And you can easily put units in a way where they're not really accessible, right? And they can easily get this uh, vitalized. I feel like we're in a meta right now, though, uh, uh, specifically because of Unstable Build, where Siege Breakers is kind of everywhere. Um, do you feel like Temple of Life would see, like, like is, is it not already kind of seeing a nerf because it's being introduced into a Siege Breaker heavy meta? I know Siege Breakers have been popular, but I, I'm pretty sure I only see it in like 20 or 30% of decks. And not just that, even if they have it on the deck, they need to have it in cycle. And I don't know if they're going to bother putting it in cycle for something like Temple of Life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's true. For you, Sibaiku, uh, if you're playing Winter, do you think you can spam enough units to really get benefit out of the uh, uh, the 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 not the body obviously the body to arthas's point is spectacular but do we do we think that that winter can really maximize the usage of the of the um the mechanic of it i think that the hearth is better suited for the winter play style right where you you create something big and then you continue to buff it and let it steamroll um you know kind of like mist wives early on or earth fathers or lady rhyme late it's just the winter play style tends to be invest into a single unit, not flood the board like a swarm or shadow fan deck. So 
you know, if you if you told me I could put this in a Toad Spam deck, I'd be thrilled. Ooh. Oh, that's exciting. I would try to um, put this in a winter deck and play Harvester of Souls on my opponent's Azure Hatcher. <laughs> you mean, or, or under Mia, right? That seems like a pretty niche <laughs> use case, though. Yeah, but um, it seems extraordinary. Also awesome. good when you're playing against Shadowfen. The tower will tick before the units activate. So poison. if a unit is poisoned, this will actually cleanse the poison, oh. replace it with Vitalize, and then the unit will grow and move as usual instead of taking a poison tick and move. That is really exciting. It is actually a counter to poison. Not like there's a ton None of, of poison in the meta right now, <laughs> but maybe there will be. Yeah, we someday's... haven't seen all the temples yet. That's true. Uh, to add more to the point of comparing it to the hearth, I know there are a lot of interesting winter decks there with synergies where the hearth actually buffs a structure, you know, oh. much like Underground Spring or True Shot, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Temple of Life cannot do anything to structures. Oh, that's so a good point. That, that's something it can't do. But at least it has that kind of difference, you know, so it's not entirely just a better or worse version of the hearth, you know? Overall, do we feel like this mechanic is a mechanic that we expected for winter versus, say, like, I feel like the natural place for this to live is either Swarm or Shadowfen. I'd honestly say neutral. Like, this is such a almost, okay, I wouldn't say insignificant, but you know what I mean. Just like a little nice touch in those game interactions, but it's not really something to build decks around. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. un- unless, you know, they have in the roadmap some interesting vitality synergies, and that would be interesting. Right? But yeah. uh, as of right now, we do not have that stuff. It's kind of just a nice little bonus. Huh. Yep. All right. I will say the artwork is fantastic, though. Beautiful card. Oh, it's stunning. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that's the uh, balance changes, uh, the the two nerfs, the buff, and the new card. Guys, we've had Ironclad on the top of the pyramid for several months now. Uh, we buffed Fort Tonic, and we reversed course on that. We nerfed Link Golems. Everyone went away from it and then realized, nope, still good. Well, let's get back to it. Um, Scrap Planners got buffed. Uh, and and here it is, this behemoth that we are dealing with. Do you feel like you expect anything to change in terms of the uh, different play rates of the different factions? I wouldn't say so because uh, all of the balance changes have been neutral, and they're they're kind of neutral cards that benefit all factions. Unlike something like Bragda, where it basically only affects Shadowfen. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't really think it really changes like the order of our like you know power levels for the deck archetypes. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it's less RNG, I guess. <laughs> we'll see if it makes the games a little um, more predictable. It we'll see if if people use. Ubis and Mers less because they do actually have a reduced power level now. Um, but I don't think it changes the faction interaction too much. Yeah, I, I mean, like at the end of the day, if if I, I kind of feel like if Sheepyard just said, guys, we're we're gonna hit delete on these for the next couple of months, Mers and Ubas don't even exist. They are both neutrals to to Arthas's point. Everybody goes and says, Okay, well, we don't have that three drop, we don't have that five drop, but Ironclad's still like, Well, I still got Green Gale. 
I still have unstable build. I still have scrap planners. And, you know, I can use Fort Tonic if I feel like it. Otherwise, Hearth Guards is still awesome. Like, okay. So people can't ship me down as quickly as they could. And they can't high roll against me with Murs. I don't need any of that. I've I've still got Hearth Guards and Green Gale. Like, so what? So so I, I'm in agreement with you guys. I think we we these will be welcome changes in terms of reducing power level. I don't think play rate of either of the cards change much. And I don't think it changes the pecking order of the factions for the two, for the moment at least, for the, for the, for the next month. And that brings us into the next conversation about uh, the Heroes League. So if the Heroes League is going to stay relatively the way it is right now in terms of what factions we think are going to get played and what, what sort of high-level cards are going to get played, we do in fact have some other improvements though for the Heroes League to, to freshen it up a bit. Uh, Arthas. There's going to be some matchmaking improvements. Walk me through the first one about crowns. Heroes League, uh, it kind of just matches you with whoever's available. And I guess to an extent, it's going to still be like that next month. But next month, there's going to be a lot more players because heroes are going to be reset to diamond and uh, heroes can actually uh, match with diamond players. But now for the matchmaking improvement. Uh, matchmaking is now going to emphasize on the player's crowns to try and make sure even more that you're going to be matching with an opponent with a similar crown count. So there's no more of those crazy... Well, not no more, but, you know, significantly less of those really crazy unfair matchups, right? And where flukes can really, like, tick people off. So uh, it's pretty nice in that sense. Yeah. Are we not surprised that this wasn't how it was implemented in the first place? I believe, Should... I believe it's because, again, uh, the first month is the outlier month with much less players than Equilibrium that they're sure, expecting. Sure. It's just so that it makes it so Heroes, Heroes League is even playable in the first place, right? <laughs> so uh, we just had to suffer for a month, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, Sebeka, we're still only about like 350 uh, players in the Heroes League. Is that right? Last I checked, yeah, right about there. And uh, I think, you know, we'll end up right around 450 to 500. That's what we're on pace for. So hopefully all of those people reset to Diamond next month and there's a large pool to match with. Nobody's punished for jumping ahead to the Heroes League early anymore. And as your as your matchups are a little more consistent between the current standings, then hopefully we don't get those large swings in ELO when uh, the games are over. So I'm glad you brought that up about uh, early Heroes League players next month are going to be matched into Diamond players more easily since there's going to be a lot of Diamond players. Um, but there's also being there's also an adjustment being made to how crowns are rewarded for those matches. Correct. Yeah, when a Heroes League player is matched with a Diamond League player, the Diamond player is assumed to have 1,000 crowns for the purposes of calculating the the ELO result uh, of the match. So this is no longer going to punish you for losing to a Diamond player who's been tanking games or experimenting with something new before they rise, but you end up being punished horribly as, as a high-level player for that loss and rewarded dramatically as a diamond league player also Mm, mm -hmm. yeah and what what's what this is even more important to be added because uh you know currently with diamond one still having that rank floor where diamond one players cannot actually drop down from diamond one it's very easy to get 
much less than 1,000 crowns. <laughs> so this is pretty nice. But now I'm wondering, like, is there even really a point for diamond players to have crowns? Like, you know, temporary crowns in the first place? Because I know if they reach heroes before 1,000 crowns, like, they just get set up to 1,000 again. And those who do, like, you know, better, they keep that little bonus. I'm wondering if that's even necessary anymore. Because I, I thought that the reason for diamond players to have crowns in the first place was so that whenever a hero matches with a diamond, um, the elo gain or change is going to be reflected nicely. You know, not nicely, but, you know, based on the air quotes, based on the skill of the players. But now I'm not sure if it's even necessary. All of these questions uh, about the uh, uh, Diamond League and Heroes League matchmaking, uh, they're great news for us, but for the vast majority of uh, players and our listeners... Uh, this doesn't impact them, but the next change to matchmaking does, does it not? Mm-hmm. So this is good. This is actually affects everyone. And uh, now in other leagues, right, like your card levels in the deck will now be taken into account for matching. So uh, the whole purpose of this is, well, yeah, you know, obviously so that a lot of players don't have to, not don't have to, but much less likely to have to deal with people who are significantly higher level than them and you know because that's how it is currently farmers really take advantage of that by staying low and getting easy wins right against people who have lower levels now because farmers have such high level collections they're only really going to be matched against other farmers in the lower leagues so that's pretty nice farmers or sorry uh bad players but uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, it will definitely make matchmaking a lot more um, fair, a lot more nicer to even have levels in the first place. There are some thresholds to actually consider now in the middle leagues compared to in the higher leagues, right? Um, I- I'd say this is a pretty healthy experience. I know the middle leagues have a massive player base, so this isn't really going to affect their queue times whatsoever. It's just going to be a much nicer experience. No? I'm very excited for this. Ha- having been on the receiving end, Sabaiku, of some of these mismatched, my opponents all level four and five cards and I'm twos and threes uh, kind of things. This this feels like a really welcome improvement to the matchmaking, no? And when we were playing in Platinum, you know, the early days, there was no 17 health base cap. So oh, you would right. queue into somebody and you would see that 19 or 20 and you really so hopefully this uh uh, is a healthier experience for everybody and everybody gets a little less frustrated yeah Yeah. especially those random cases where a high level player hasn't played in like a few months and then they're in silver or gold um they wouldn't necessarily be bullying those poor innocent players anymore they're just going to be bullying bots because they won't be able to <laughs> find the match. <laughs> and look, it's still going to happen. You know, it's just this is just about prioritization. But the fact that it is a factor in the prioritization at all is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I, I feel like this is something that um, has been uh, brought up often enough in Reddit, in Discord, uh, as a pain point to the uh, to the average Stormbound player. Um, I'm really happy. I, I, I think, you know, give credit where credit is due. Sheepyard is doing a important first step here to trying to make the overall gaming experience in the game significantly better. I think this is 
uh, uh, really welcome at this point. Uh, so hats off to them for doing that. All right, that's going to wrap up uh, uh, the main portion of our episode about uh, the upcoming changes to the game. Uh, and with that, uh, we now move into our uh, card of the week. This week, we have a request from Overdrive uh, to discuss avian stalkers of all cards. So, um, Arthas, could you give us the stats on avian stalkers, please? All right. So, avian stalkers. This is a neutral card, uh, an epic neutral card at six mana with uh, strength from level ones to five. Um, it's five, six, seven, eight. 10. Now, uh, avian stalkers don't move, and their effect is on death, destroy all units in front with 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, or less strength, and spawn 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 strength ravens on all tiles behind the avian stalker that died. And uh, to, to uh, clarify, when it says destroy all units in front, this also includes your own units for some reason. I don't know why they did that. <laughs> I'm sure there are some interesting edge cases where this is cool, but uh, please have mercy on avian stalkers. <laughs> so, so Baiku, th this seems like a really hard because it's not an on play effect. If my opponent has like a column of units that are all, let's say, five health, and I play a level three avian stalkers which should be able to kill them all the problem i have is that my avian stalkers are seven health they don't die like how do you use this well they'll die eventually <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it, it's a tough card to use it it's a really neat inner interplay between the uh, uh different effects here right you're going to destroy all the units in front which makes you want to play it further back toward your own baseline to kill more of your enemy units but you also want to play it up toward their baseline in order to spawn more ravens on the tiles behind the unit so it's it's neat that it's flexible and you can use it in those different ways but because it's an on death effect with no movement it's really really hard to trigger exactly when you want it and it does give your opponent a chance to respond a lot of the time. Yeah, and uh, like I mentioned in like many episodes ago, any card really that has important positional conditions really tend to struggle to see play in the mm, game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. no, for because, sure. Uh, like for example, I know the the most common use for avian stalkers is just the crazy frontline tank because. Uh, it's already hard to kill with 10 strength at level 5, so it keeps moving forward. And even when it dies, like, it just spawns a whole army behind it. But, like, because yeah, like you said, because it's an on-deck, the enemy has a chance to, like, counterplay that. Where they can just put units behind the avian stalkers, and it's not like those units are going to get replaced or anything. Uh, the ravens just won't spawn there. And this oh, also no. includes your own units. Like, if you have units on the board, which, you know, if you're, mm -hmm. if you're a decent player, you're going to have units on the board. There's much less spaces for you to play avian stalkers optimally just because of your own units blocking the way. It's kind of sucky, you know? I didn't, I didn't think that that's right. Your opponent can clog up the line behind it and nothing happens. Oh, God. Yeah, so like, that's Toad's what I do. destroys this. <laughs> yeah, right. Like you said, like these, these cards with strong positional aspects to their abilities like they, they just lose on flexibility 
you can't play them wherever you want. Um, you know, even just something like Edric, a lot of the times in the early game, you end up having to just cycle out Edric because you're not going to get any value from it because your opponent has just kind of, you know, wittingly or not matched up their units with yours. And Edric is the easiest one to get value out of. And still, even there, you throw it away sometimes. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, like this that. is this is harder to use for sure. And the effect that you get from it just isn't good enough to make it worth it, especially not at six mana. All right, I've got it. I've got it. Here you go. You ready? I throw all of my uh, uh, units forward as an aggressive swarm deck. My opponent on five plays Ubis. Clears a lot of it, but not all of it. I then just stick this right in front of it. Let Ubis kill it. And create a column that at the start of my next turn will move forward, allowing me to zuri it all. Solved. There's the use case. Uh, okay. Yeah, a use case, right? <laughs> if they did drop this to lower strength and like four or five mana, I'd love to experiment with it with zuri. Like it, it really does obviously make a column of unit, which zuri wants to take advantage of. Okay, so first, Sabaiku, you have to level up to level five. <laughs> you're you're Indian stalker. I will do that at the end of the month. Yeah, I'm sure you will. I'm um, preparing for the new meta. Yeah, exactly the avian stalker meta. Um, <laughs> yes, but but that's so. This card feels like it's a better use as a tank forward, as a counter to AOE. Right, like so. I use my Azure Hatcher a lot when I'm going into winter matches where I'll put it somewhere and just be like, if he wants to blade storm or hunter's vengeance, fine, because I've got something that's just going to spawn more units. Like you can't clear my board. My front is it's here. And it feels kind of like avian stalkers can provide that same kind of service. I just don't know what faction is looking for it right now. Right. Like cause scrap planners effectively does the same thing. Yeah, even Azur does the same thing. Shady Gold does the same thing, you know? <laughs> right, right. So is Winter the only faction that's like, actually, I would love to have a forward tank that guarantees my front through an AoE? Is, no, because is, is Winter the, just no? makes big stuff anyway that's kind of tanky. Right. So yeah, it doesn't, doesn't care about this. the AoE. Yeah. Hmm. What would be an interesting change we can have for this card to make it a little more playable? I gotta say, it's it's reduced the mana, reduce the strength accordingly, obviously, Um, but just make it cheaper at six. It's just way too expensive for what it does. You know, the cards we're comparing it to, Azure Hatcher, Shady Ghoul, like those are three, four mana cards. Yeah, and I and I know some people are thinking of giving it movement or something, but I think that's uh, that's stepping over the line. Haha. <laughs> yeah, stepping. Okay. Anyway, this also suffers a little bit from the rogue sheep problem, right? Like, not for nothing, it's hard to kill this thing, so its on death effect of uh, like defensively is kind of useless. Right, like as a defensive tool to try to remove a, you oh, know, yeah. a potential, like it just doesn't work. Like the fact that it kills units in front of it is almost irrelevant. Actually, that's the primary use case. The whole point of this is to kill your own units <laughs> yeah. the following turn to clear a path <laughs> for your runners. Yeah, it will clear the chaotic people on their baseline or or your embers, and then yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, that's going to end this episode, uh, which means it's time for me to remind you to please contact us, preferably in the uh, our channel on the Discord uh, server for Stormbound. You can also reach us at Brood Sages. You can even email us at thebrewsages at gmail.com. This week, we have an additional way uh, for you to reach out to us and support us. We started a couple of weeks ago a Gumroad account where you can become patrons of our work. Check out the link on our Stormbound Kitty page if you are so inclined. Uh, This week, we did hear from a couple of our listeners. Uh, We heard from Stony J on Reddit. Uh, He says, you guys are smart, funny, and articulate. Good chemistry as well. Keep up the good work. Stony J, thank you so much, but I think you might be mistaken. Some of us may be smart, but not all of us. Uh, Louis Devnath said on YouTube, um, he loved the very punctual, pertinent, and sharp comments from Arthas on the previous episode, and I agree. Um, lastly, this is a personal thing of mine. I was uh, fiddling around lurking on LinkedIn, and I noticed a change to Joza's uh, uh, job title over at Sheepyard. Uh, Joza, I just wanted to give a, a quick shout out to you uh, and say um, congratulations. It appears that your job title has changed from just community manager to game designer. I don't know quite when that happened, but whenever it did, it was well-deserved and we tip our hat to you. That's going to do it for tonight's episode. For Arthas and Sabaiku, I am Freeloader. We are the Brood Sages reminding you to stay hydrated.